Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Kyle Johnson, and this is my beautiful wife, Liz. And uh, we've been coming to the Plano campus since it opened up. I think we talked about it being the five-year anniversary. Uh, and we have a photo of us on our wedding day. So this is March 1st of 2014. There's us outside the Watermark Dallas campus. Uh, and if you would have told us that almost six years ago, we'd be standing on stage, sitting on stage doing a re-engage testimony, we'd have told you you're crazy. Uh, but the truth of the song we just sang that, Lord, Lord, I need you, is, is 100% true, but it's also true for our marriage. And so our, our prayer is that you guys are encouraged uh, by our story tonight, how Christ is still redeeming our marriage even right now. So I grew up as the youngest of two in a Christian home in New Braunfels, Texas, and I went to Christian schools pre-K all the way through college. And for me, that established a really great foundation in knowing about Jesus and knowing about the Bible. I confessed faith in Christ when I was five years old. Well, I believe that he was my savior. I did not start viewing him as my Lord until much later in life. Uh, my childhood was a little bit different. I grew up in St. Louis, as Liz's family would call me a Yankee, uh, as the youngest of two boys with my Catholic mom and atheist father. When I was young, we attended mass each Sunday and participated in Sunday school. We progressed through first baptism and confirmation and confession and communion. And I understood very little what any of it meant, but that I was supposed to be a good kid and that these things were required to be spared from hell. Although my mother was serious about raising us in the Catholic faith, it overshadowed my father's lack of spiritual leadership in the household. He was supportive of the way that she wanted to raise us in the church, but that's pretty much where it ended. Uh, there was always a lot of tension and fighting between my parents, which usually involved my dad's drinking problem and the girlfriends that he had on the side. Their conflicts were usually shouting matches and slamming doors and trying to one-up one another. I was deeply saddened but not surprised when my parents divorced when I was in second grade. I was the kid who excelled at nearly whatever I tried. I was the first chair in band and choir, sixth grade through 12th grade. I was the captain of our volleyball, basketball, track, golf, and soccer teams. I was editor-in-chief of all of our literary magazines and newspaper. I was the president of National Honor Society. On the outside, I looked like my life was completely together. I was the leader for everyone else to follow. But in reality, I was living a double life. My brother enlisted in the Marine Corps during the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. This decision wrecked my mom and quickly changed the dynamics of our family. Life became very focused on what phase he was in when he was in boot camp, where he could be deployed and what to expect there, what supplies he may need or want that we could send him, you name it. I felt very isolated and unseen during his deployment, and I chose to dive headfirst into partying my junior and senior year of high school. I was controlled by alcohol in a verbally, sexually, and physically abusive relationship. I was terrified to share what had been going on in my life for fear that I would be expelled from my Christian school and that I would miss out on the chance to go to college. I had heard throughout my teenage years that sex was for marriage. I told myself everything could and would be made right if I eventually married my abuser. We broke up and I was left alone, scared, and confused. In Psalm 32, David is lamenting over his sin and crying out to God. In verse 2, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I experienced the agony of hidden sin through those years and eventually shared all that had taken place with my parents. 
However, it took me several years to acknowledge that I had been the victim of sexual abuse. I also shared everything with my best friend who walked faithfully with me through the rest of my senior year of high school and into my freshman year of college, giving me the very first glimpse of what biblical community could look like. Uh, During my teen years, alcoholism was wrecking my father's life, his second marriage, and I had begun my own unhealthy desires of performance-based acceptance through school and athletics and vanity and coping mechanisms like my own drug and alcohol use. At the same time, when I was 13, I had accepted Christ for the payment of my sins, but reflecting back, it had more to do with really wanting him to change my dad uh, than my own understanding of my total depravity and my need for a savior. Consequently, my spiritual walk was extremely shallow. I'd go through periods of going to church and attending youth group and then very quickly resorting like a dog returning to his vomit back to drugs and alcohol and relationships, which I was very quickly becoming emotionally dependent upon. My parents both remarried and divorced again to different people uh, when I was 15 and 18 and then continuing to deepen my wounds of abandonment and my desire for self-reliance. This back and forth pattern of going to church and and partying with friends would continue to mark my college years in my early 20s. The beginning of college for me gave me a taste of freedom from alcohol and inappropriate relationships with men. But like a dog to its vomit, I eventually ran back to it. That continued until 2011 when a friend invited me to our young adult ministry called The Porch. I heard about freedom in Christ, community, dating with purpose, and being mindful of what God's word says about who I am in Christ. I started to truly relate to 2 Corinthians 5.17 for the first time. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in 2011, for me, I found myself in a failing engagement. I was wrecked with stress and anxiety from work often pulling 60 to 65 hours a week, trying to climb the corporate ladder and make a bigger paycheck. Uh, A daily habit and a social life that surrounded around smoking pot, and it caused me to further isolate. Add to that a complete and total isolation from any friends, church, or support group that would point me towards Christ, and it was a recipe for what is sometimes referred to as the bottom. A coworker invited me to attend the porch, and once I attended, the Spirit really started to convict me of my depraved nature, my need for Christ's payment for my sins to be reconciled to the Lord, and that salvation wasn't just about fire insurance that I had been raised with or protection just against going to hell, that it was about having a personal relationship with Christ and not using him as your own genie granting all my wishes through prayer. Titus 3, 3 through 5 described me accurately. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Coming to Watermark and committing to community was the turning point in my life. I had the chance to be in a community group of single women who pointed me back to Christ and his word faithfully. I was asked to join Watermark staff a year later with the community team at our Dallas campus. I started serving with the porch, and God sweetly reminded me that he is able to redeem all things to use them for good, Romans 8.28. I felt freedom in sharing my failures and God's faithfulness with other women for the first time. One of the first messages I heard at the porch just focused on community, and I knew immediately that was a big piece of what I had missed in my teens and 20s. 
it was a tool that God would use to help me develop deep, authentic relationships, dedicating uh, to holding one another accountable to God's standard and deepening our personal relationship with him through study, service, prayer, and other spiritual disciplines. I quickly joined Watermark as a member, was co-leading in a community group, attending base camp and discipleship groups, serving in front lines as a greeter and a volunteer at the porch. God was redeeming all the years I had spent wandering away from him. I took two years off from dating so that I could focus on my relationship with Jesus and my own personal self-leadership. Then a really beautiful gal started serving at the porch and was assigned to the team where I served, and it changed everything. When Kyle and I started dating, we were determined to be obedient to the many scriptures that speak to sexual purity. When we had our physical boundaries talk and agreed to wait to kiss until our wedding day, if that day came, I felt an overwhelming sense of peace. Once again, God's grace was visible to me. I was being led by a man who was being led by Christ, and I loved it. The honest truth is I didn't know what I was doing while we were dating. Uh, As opposed to when I had dated in the past, I just knew that I wanted to focus on leading her, both guarding her heart and physically. I had never done that well before in a dating relationship, and I really wanted to treat her with absolute purity like it talks about in 1 Timothy 5, and for us to flee sexual morality like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 6. This was, this was the first time that I wasn't going to allow culture or my desires to drive a dating relationship. I leaned heavily into God's word, the conviction of his spirit, and allowing my community group to help me navigate it. But based upon our past dating track records and convictions, we agreed that we wouldn't kiss or anything else until our wedding day. Six months after our first date, we were engaged, and three months later, we were married. I will never forget the joy of sharing our first kiss on the day we committed our lives to one another and said, I do. God has been faithful and patient with us both and has given us all we need to live the life that he has called us to, as it says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. We had sailed through dating and engagement with very little conflict and generally communicated well with one another until we got home from our honeymoon. Sounds perfect, right? I can still remember our first fight. Uh, We had just gotten home from our honeymoon and my friends had graciously moved all my things into what was Liz's house uh, while we were gone. What that meant was all my furniture and clothes were just piled up in the middle of the living room and we both had to go to work the next day. So we did what normal couples do, right? We divided and conquered. Liz was setting up a bedroom. I was setting up the entertainment center and uh, we were trying to get everything arranged. Well, I borrowed the HDMI cord from Liz's DVD player so I could hook up the Blu-ray player in our bedroom. She asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, we're just going to watch Blu-rays in our bedroom anyway, and that did not go over so well. She was mad. She was so mad, I couldn't figure it out that I actually had to go into a different room. So let me add a little color to what was happening in my head and my heart during that conflict. Kyle was moving into my house. I didn't learn this about myself until a couple years later, but I get really defensive when Kyle comes home after being away, or in this case, when he came into our home for the first time. I revert back to independent, single Liz who has to do everything on her own and who doesn't need any help. So I was already a little bit on edge. Plus, our friends had decorated our home to welcome us, which was really sweet. But that meant that they had coated the ceiling fan blades with baby rattle confetti. So as soon as you turned on the fan, it was everywhere. 
Not so fun. Uh, So there was already some really good tension in the midst of all of that. So when Kyle told me that I could no longer use my DVD player because we would be using his Blu-ray player, my inner feminist I am woman hear me roar side lost it. What I heard was I could no longer watch any of my movies and I felt dictated to and controlled. That could not have been farther from the truth of what Kyle was saying. We eventually came together, asked for forgiveness, and moved on. Fast forward two years later, and we're sitting down to watch a DVD together. I watched as Kyle put the Blu-ray, the DVD, into the Blu-ray player. And I said, wait, it can play Blu-ray or DVD? And he said, yeah. Then we both laughed as we remembered that whole massive conflict and realized that if we had just used that speaker-listener technique that we talk about all the time, it would have really helped us out. But the beginning of marriage really was great. We had an amazing foundation group of friends and supportive leaders that spent a lot of time investing in us. Uh, It felt like we were communicating well, we were working through conflict, we were connecting emotionally, but that physical intimacy or sex was just a much harder hurdle for us. Even talking about it right now makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, Things were going really well for me at work. Liz had just accepted a new staff position here at the Plano campus when it was opening. And we were moving up to Allen to be part of the community. It was about this time that we really started to start trying to have a family. Even though we were only moving 20 miles away to Allen, it felt like moving states. We were changing church campuses. We were changing community groups. The original support we had from our single days and early marriage felt really far away. But I was really excited about starting our new family. So for me growing up, I never had a desire to be a mom. For years, I viewed women who chose to be stay-at-home moms as weak and as women who had wasted their lives and missed out on reaching their full potential. Guys, that still stings me so much to have to say out loud. In the first few months of our foundation group, which is our community groups for newly married couples, I started feeling conviction about my view of motherhood. I dug into God's word and I realized very quickly that I had bought into society's view of motherhood and I did not value the role as God does. After seeking the Lord and feeling peace to move forward, Kyle and I decided to start trying to get pregnant six months into marriage. After trying for a little over a year, some tests revealed a blockage in one of my fallopian tubes, which required immediate surgery to fix. They were unable to repair the damage, resulting in the loss of one of my tubes, and they also discovered that I had endometriosis in the process. This news was devastating for us both, as it meant that our chances of becoming pregnant decreased by 50% overnight. I jumped into Shiloh, our ministry for couples who are going through infertility or miscarriage, and found so much support and help for the child that we are facing. After four and a half years of trying and waiting and grieving the loss of a dream, the Lord blessed us with a successful IUI treatment, and nine months later, the birth of our son, Jonathan. And our great Dame Brody. (laughs) During our pregnancy, we decided to do re-engage, along with another couple from our community group. Infertility had taken a serious toll on us emotionally, and it greatly impacted us in the area of physical intimacy. While we rated our marriage overall as an eight, we would have rated our sex life at a two or a three. We have struggled in this area throughout our marriage and had spent countless hours talking through it, reading books, talking with our community group, but we still felt stuck. It was during re-engage that I was finally able to put some words to my feelings that helped us to start to take some ground. 
sex doesn't feel safe to me. I didn't just have triggers and insecurities from the sexual abuse in my teens. I also had hurt that I hadn't fully shared with Kyle that was specific to our relationship and intimacy. While I'm still incredibly grateful for the way that we dated, going from zero to 60 was a really hard transition for me once we got home from our honeymoon and we got settled into real life. The freedom that Christ intends for us in marriage felt elusive and impossible to grasp. Yeah, as Liz has said, infertility took a huge toll on our pursuit of intimacy with one another. The whole trying to get pregnant phase definitely made intimacy even more difficult for both of us. When people found out we were trying, they would smile and give me that little wink and say, oh, that must be fun. Uh, But what they didn't realize is it was anything but fun, especially as the months went rolled by and we continued to not get pregnant. When we were struggling early on, it was hard for us to communicate even about our feelings. Uh, And at times, it felt easier to, to not try because it would protect our hearts from that disappointment when God was telling us no. I remember us both wrestling with the Lord and trying to make sense of it all and a friend telling me uh, that everything in life just felt like it was slightly tainted. You know, it was like a constant cloud over every event, over every season of life that we were in. Uh, When we dug deeper into our challenges with physical intimacy during re-engage, we both realized we had more barriers to overcome than we initially thought. Because we had so much baggage from our past relationships and mistakes, we had created boundaries in which we expected each other to stay in when it came to intimacy. Several of those boundaries had never even been verbalized. Some of them we didn't even know we had. But during re-engage, Liz shared some things that I had said early on in my marriage and going all the way back to our wedding day uh, that had added to her feelings of sex being unsafe. My desire to control and self-protection had led to hurt and had put Liz in a box that she couldn't get out of without me turning to Christ and letting him heal us both. Guys, we still struggle. We still get in conflict when we talk about intimacy and how to pursue one another well. We got into conflict writing this talk, just to be honest. But we are also working to constantly and quickly own our parts to hear each other fully and accurately, to seek understanding when we get out of step with each other, and to ultimately strive to look more like Christ. Above all, I know that God is good. He is trustworthy, and his plans and timing are perfect, even when it doesn't align with my schedule. I am still learning to let go of control, to be able to walk out what I claim to be true from his word. But I know that Christ is faithfully walking with us, whatever our future may hold. The bottom line is that pursuing intimacy is a choice. Whether you struggle with physical intimacy or emotional or spiritual intimacy, growth starts with you, it starts with me, choosing to take obedient steps that God has called us to. Thank you guys so much for letting us share.